chat. Back chat. Back chat. Politics and current affairs. Backpack. Back chat. Back chat. Your alternative to talk back. Saturday, December 19th, and we're going to break down the news you don't want to miss. Before we begin today, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're broadcasting from and pay our respects to Elders past, present and future. I'm Millie Roberts. And I am Charles Rushforth. Today we've got two big stories on worker exploitation. First up, we're joined by Director of Policy with McKell Institute, Edward Kavanagh, to discuss working conditions on New South Wales blueberry farms. And well, after that, oh, sorry, Charles, I just cut you off. Keep no, going. Hey, forget <laughs> about it. And, as, and after that, we're talking to employment lawyer Grace Cummings about casual worker law changes. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. Have you been mucked around as a casual worker recently? Let us know by texting 0409 945 945, or you can tweet us at backchatfbi. So, Charles, there's been heaps in the media recently about fruit pitching fruit picking as your next summer holiday experience. The government even offered a once-off payment of $6,000 to entice new workers. So, you know, why not live out your Stardew Valley fantasies, right? Well, it's tempting. Um, however, a new report by the McKell Institute has revealed a rotten side to the fruit picking industry. The report, titled Blue Harvest, details severe wage theft and unlawful working conditions on New South Wales blueberry farms in what appears to be the tip of the iceberg for fruit farm exploitation. Director of Policy with the McKell Institute and co-author of Blue Harvest, Edward Kavanagh, joins us now to discuss his report. Edward, thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you. Could you give us a brief rundown of your findings in this report? Yeah, so uh, for about six months this year, um, me and my team spoke with dozens and dozens of working holidaymakers predominantly um, up on the Coffs Coast area of New South Wales. Um, most of these workers are working in blueberry farms, some in, in raspberry farms, but predominantly in this big, sort of rapidly emerging blueberry industry up there. And what we saw there was, unfortunately, some of the worst examples of labour exploitation you're likely to see in Australia. And it was everything from, um, you know, folks working for 3 4 $5 an hour um, people getting abused on farms, people being forced to work, uh, you know, on farm stays that were very isolated and in poor accommodation conditions that cost an enormous amount of money. Um, and some who, you know, tried to do the right thing and go to the Fair Work Ombudsman and get their money back and just had terrible experiences and could never do so. So unfortunately, what's happening up there is, you know, as I said, some of the worst examples of exploitation we're seeing in the country. And we understand that labour hire firms have had a role to play in this. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so uh, you would have heard a lot this year about um, farmers struggling to get workers. And that's not an entirely new uh, problem. Uh, it's always been a little bit tricky for farmers who you know, might need to pick fruit in a week's time to find the 100, 200 pickers they need. Um, that, that need has basically created this this huge opportunity for labour hire firms to step in and go to the farmers and say, hey, we can bring 100 workers, 200 workers at the drop of a dime um, whenever you need them. In the Coffs Coast area, we've seen dozens of these labour hire firms pop up and they are incredibly unscrupulous. So they'll often take a lot of the money off the top. They'll often pay, like vastly underpay the workers themselves. And sometimes the farmers aren't actually completely aware of what's truly going on with these labour hire uh, intermediaries. So the labour hire problem is really at the heart of this exploitation issue up there. Apart from Coffs Harbour, are we seeing similar stories in other states across the country? Yeah, this happens every time there's 
you know, a new harvest in a new area. Um, we concentrated on the Coffs Coast uh, for a couple of reasons because of this, the, the circumstances of this year, really. So, um, obviously, a lot of working holidaymakers in New South Wales couldn't leave New South Wales, so a lot did go to Coffs Coast um, this year. Um, but we've seen this in harvest previously. We've seen it in harvest in Queensland, in Victoria. Um, it happens time and time again. So, while the Coffs Coast is a, an interesting case study this particular season, um, yeah, we're unfortunately seeing it time and time again all over the country. And would you say that state and federal industrial relation laws are up to scratch? Well, well not really. There's a, there's a couple of things going on here. Um, one is that these workers are being paid by piece rates. So it's effectively, you know, the more you pick, the more you earn. Um, farmers say, oh, look, this is great because it increases productivity. But imagine if you applied that to any other industry. Imagine if you applied it to, you know, working at a supermarket or something, where the more you, you scanned through the checkout, the more you got paid. I mean, it's, it's an anachronism. Um, so that's a problem, having this piece rate system. Um, the other stuff is just, the, the, you know, the fact that um, navigating the Fair Work Ombudsman to get a fair crack is really hard for these workers. So the Fair Work Ombudsman basically isn't up to scratch for um, dealing with the task and the scale of the problem of exploitation. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio 94.5. At the moment, we're speaking to Edward Kavanagh about his new report on worker exploitation on New South Wales fruit farms. Some migrant workers um, on the Working Holidaymaker program have fallen victim to this kind of exploitation. What does this say about the program more broadly? I'm really worried about the Working Holidaymaker program and and really what it's turned into. Um, I think the original intention of the Working Holiday program this idea of cultural exchange, right, where you have young people from all across the world going between each other's countries and working, that, that is a really noble idea. I think that's great. The, the problem is in about 2005, um, the Howard government radically changed what the Working Holiday Maker program actually did, um, and that's by incorporating this three months of regional work requirement into the Working Holiday Maker program. So if you come here from Vietnam or Germany or Peru or wherever it may be, um, and you want to stay for a second year working in Australia, you have to, as a condition of your visa, work in regional Australia for three months. Um, that's kind of okay on the surface, except for the fact that what's happening is so many of these workers are going into unregulated industries, isolated farms, and, <clears throat> and getting absolutely ripped off and having no idea how to, how to fix their situation. So I really worry about the way that this Working Holiday Maker program has shifted from this well-intended cultural exchange initiative to what is effectively a way of supplying cheap uh, cheap labour to Australian farms. And, you know, that's something we should be really worried about. So, Edward, I think what concerns me most about this story is the peace rates, which is, as I understand, paid or workers are paid by bucket. Um, and obviously the Australian Workers' Union is pushing for fruit pickers to be paid a minimum wage instead. How likely are we yep. going to be able to see laws change to allow this? You know, I'm, I'm sort of quietly optimistic on this. I think, uh, as I was saying before, if you applied the piece rate um, logic to any other industry, people would absolutely balk at it. I mean, the idea that you go to work and you are able to get paid under the minimum wage is, like, to me personally, I think it's egregious. I think to most Australian workers that is an, an egregious idea. Um, so the piece work system is completely out of step with the rest of our, <laughs> our labour laws. Um, and because we're seeing it be exploited so much and the rates are paid so incredibly low, 
I think there's no choice but for the Fair Work Commission to take some action on this. Um, you know, the, the reforms at AWU want are very, very sensible, and I hope the Fair Work Commission sees the light. And I think even some of the comments from industry who are getting embarrassed about seeing these stories pop up every few weeks, every few months, um, I think there's going to be some movement from the industry itself on this as well. So in terms of coming up with like a solution for this endemic issue, um, Christian Porter's flagged tougher penalties for underpaying farmers as an option. Do you think changes like this are going to be enough? This is a really interesting um, change, from, a change of tune really from Christian Porter in that, yes, they've said we want to punish uh, wage thieves effectively uh, far more than they're currently getting punished. On the surface, that's a great idea. That's very logical. My concern is that that change in wage theft law has been entwined with this broader industrial relations um, uh, package, which on one hand might strengthen wage theft laws. On the other hand, though, it's actually making uh, conditions and rights for casual workers and other insecure workers even lower. So what he's effectively done is said, <laughs> let's, um, let's strengthen, strengthen wage theft, but only so long as we can also undermine workers' rights in this other area. And I think that's a really cynical and political way of going about this. And unfortunately, I think that demonstrates the way that this government has treated this issue for their entire time in office. They've paid lip service to it before. They know what's going on. But they really haven't taken any meaningful action to do it, to, 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 to make it better. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad he's moved on this a little bit, but I'm still pretty, um, <laughs> uh, you know, pretty cautiously uh, kind of holding my breath until we see what actually happens with this. And finally, Edward, will Australia's reputation abroad be affected, in your opinion? It, it completely it completely is, and it already has been, unfortunately. I mean, a, a couple of years ago, I took a year off, travelled across the whole world and met dozens of people who um, had gone through this program and had terrible things to say. Um, I walked, you know, I went to shipping container villages up in Kosava. I went to overcrowded share houses, backpacker hostels, stayed with these communities for... Um, for weeks, and all of them have been completely have been completely frustrated and and treated terribly through these processes. And those are stories that they're going to take back to their home countries. It completely undermines the initial cultural exchange uh, purpose of the Working Holidaymaker program. And I'm personally embarrassed by it when I hear these stories from folks that are in our country getting treated so badly. Um, I think we all should be, and I think we should be worried about the fact that we have. 100,000 or so people coming into the country every year who are getting <laughs> treated really badly and are taking those stories back to their home countries. That's not good for anyone in Australia. Thank you so much for your time today, Edward. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. That was Director of Policy with the McKellar Institute, Edward Kavanagh, on fruit and wage harvesting at Australian farms. Next, you're going to hear our reporter, Shana Sheikh, talk to Grace Cummings from Legal Aid New South Wales about some incoming changes to our casual worker laws. But hey, first, we're going to play you a song. This is Stare by Sydney-based artist Romeo. She's actually playing tonight at a warehouse. It's a secret location, but um, if, you're, if you're in, if you got the no, you should check it out. I Absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Back chat, your alternative to talk back. God, I constantly hear from my mates in hospital and retail about how hard the last year has been as casual workers. And now changes to federal law have really complicated the perks of being a casual employee. 
Ouch, that's really kicking someone while they're down. Yeah, I'm on top of cut hours, venue closures, half a million job losses across the country. It's not a good time to be one of those two million plus casual workers in the country. Our producer, Shana Sheikh, spoke to employment, li- uh, employment lawyer Grace Cummings recently from Legal Aid about what these changes are and how they're going to work. Hi, Grace. Hi, Shana. Thanks for joining us. What are the proposed changes to the casual workforce? Yeah, so the government has announced some pretty big changes um, to the law around casual employment that they're hoping will come into effect next year, probably early next year. The first is a change that's designed to make it easier for casual workers to convert to permanent work, so ongoing full-time or part-time jobs. Under this new rule, as it's currently written, um, employers will have to offer casual employees who've been with them for a year permanent work if they have worked regular hours for the last six months. So, And casuals that don't want to take up that offer won't have to. The, the second change that the government's hoping to bring in is that we're going to see a definition of the term casual employee in the law. It, it might seem a bit odd, but we don't actually have one of those at the moment. It's been left to judges in court cases to work out uh, what that term means and who those people are. And that's turned out to be quite difficult. The, the new definition the government's hoping will come into effect will focus on what is agreed between the worker and the employer at the time that they actually start their job. So someone will be casual if they start work on the basis that their employer has made no firm promise of giving them ongoing work in an agreed pattern. The third change relates to some recent court cases where employers who have been uh, incorrectly classifying their employees as casuals um, have been found to owe those people benefits of permanent employment, such as annual leave uh, and sick leave. And that's been the case even where they've, they've called them casuals, but really treated them in practice like permanent employees. And also where those people have got a higher rate of pay because the employer has called them a casual. And the new rules will mean that if something like that happens, that extra casual loading that the employer has paid to that person will count towards any entitlements that the employee might be later found to have, like annual leave and sick leave that I mentioned. So in many cases, that will mean that the employer won't end up owing the employee anything on top of what they've already paid them. How would the proposed changes impact young casual workers? In theory, uh, making it a requirement that employers have to offer permanent work to casuals who have been doing regular hours would mean that a whole lot more young workers will have access to the benefits of permanent employment, uh, which are the things like annual leave, sick leave, redundancy pay um, if you made redundant um, and notice or pay instead of notice if if your employment's terminated. So at the moment, casual workers don't get any of those things. One downside is though that most people would also be taking a pay cut if they take up that offer from their employer because they will have to forego their casual loading. So that extra bit that they get for every hour they work will disappear, but then they will get these um, benefits that they haven't previously been able to get. The change to the definition of a casual employee won't affect all young casual workers. So people who take up work knowing that it will be irregular and unpredictable and the work continuing in that way would always have been considered casual. So that won't be different. But it it does mean that workers will be a bit more at the whim of their employer in terms of the way that their employer labels 
their employment when they start out. People will be casuals if they if their employers say they are, is essentially the law that the government wants to make. And so even if those people end up working a regular pattern of work and they might really look very much like a part-time or a full-time worker, it's really going to be about what the employer has called that that relationship and that might mean that more people will miss out on being entitled to the benefits of of being permanent. Why did the government introduce these changes in the first place? So the changes for casuals have been put forward by the government for a few reasons. I guess the, the pandemic has really showed the potential pitfalls of casual employment. So young casuals in areas such as retail and hospitality will let go you know, in really large numbers during COVID, more than permanent employees um, because they didn't have any entitlements to redundancy that an employer would need to pay. Um, The employer doesn't also have to give them any notice um, and they don't have to be paid out their entitlements like their unused annual leave. So it's really easy to get rid of casual workers really quickly. And I think the government recognised that they have introduced this new entitlement to be offered a conversion to permanent employment because the government does have an interest in people having secure employment. So we've been hearing a lot about how rife wage theft is. How does the bill address wage theft? There is now a criminal offence for employers who dishonestly underpay employees. So it's also going to be now unlawful for employers to advertise jobs uh, with rates of pay that are less than the national minimum wage. Those rates is $19.84 at the moment or $24.80 for casuals per hour. What's one thing that young people should take home about these proposed changes to the law? Well, I guess it depends on their situation in terms of whether they're someone who's been misclassified as a casual, but I think that probably the one that's going to apply to the most young casuals is this possibility of converting to permanent employment where they've been in a job for a while. So we know that there are a lot of people who work really long-term casual jobs, regular hours, although some casuals do already have a right to request casual conversion but this is really going to strengthen that and turn it around on an employer to make the offer of casual employment rather than the employee having to ask for it. The change is that it's going to be extended to all employees. Um, It's going to be arguably a bit easier to be in a situation where you have that right to be offered casual employment. What are the concerns with the proposed changes? There are quite a few concerns with the proposed changes. I think in relation to the wage theft related changes, uh, none of them are are bad things. um, But the problem is that this is still a really complicated, convoluted system for young people who have been underpaid and want to claim their wages. And the new changes that the government's proposing While they do strengthen the position of employees, it's still really an uphill battle to make a wages claim. Another concern, I guess, is that the definition of casual employment really puts the power in an employer's hands to tell an employee what they are when they start the work with them. And the concern with that is that it might not reflect the relationship as it continues along. So although that might be what it is at the outset, someone could then work for years, the same days, the same hours, every week, the employer expects them to come to work on those days and hours. And that will still mean that they are a casual employee because that was the label that the employer put, put on that relationship. 
and it just doesn't reflect the reality of the relationship. And that's a different situation to how it is at the moment where courts have really been able to look at what actually happens on a day-to-day basis and make a finding about what kind of employee someone is and a much more accurate way of looking at things. Thank you, Grace. Thanks, Sana. That was Grace Cummings, employment lawyer at Legal Aid New South Wales, explaining the proposed changes around casual workers. Hey, if you're in a bit of strife at your job, it's really easy to contact Legal Aid New South Wales to get free legal advice about your employment problems. We're going to post their details online for you. You're on FBI 94.5. Off the back of that last interview, we know that many of you are casuals yourselves, and these changes are probably hitting home for you right now. So we want to ask a casual worker about her first-hand experiences. Jasmine recently left her casual position at a pharmacy and is here to tell her story. Heads up, we've changed her name for privacy reasons. Hey, Jasmine, thanks for joining us. Hey, um, how are you? Super good. So, Jasmine, our first question is, what has your experience been like as a casual worker? Um, uh, well, I've had a few casual jobs over the years and most of them have always been pretty good. Like, I've been pretty well treated. Um, but the last one I had was in a pharmacy. I was doing my registration hours to be fully registered as a pharmacist. Um, and I was hired casually, but working full-time hours. And that was essentially for the whole year that I was doing that. And it was probably the worst experience I've ever had as, um, an employee, employee. Yeah. Why? What, what happened? Um, well, I was sort of. First of all, I was underpaid the whole time and my boss was very, very abusive. Um, I was working full 38 to 40 hours a week every week and she refused to accept me as a full-time employee Um, and she would never let me take a day off. Um, I sort of had to give her, like, good reason to have a day off and even if I was sick, she would make me come to work, Um, especially given that it's a pandemic this year. Probably wasn't the best idea, but... Yeah, she just wouldn't let me take any days off work. I wasn't entitled to any holiday leave, any sick leave. Um, And, yeah, it was sort of a bit, yeah, it was really not good. And she'd usually threaten to fire me or threaten that I would not have my job if I took any time off, if I was sick or just wanted to go on a holiday or something. Um, And then I resigned as per my contract and she fired me on the spot when I resigned. So (laughs) it was not the best experience, but... um, Definitely working in a better place now, but yeah, probably, yeah. Jasmine, that is shocking. I'm so sorry to hear that you went through that. What do you think could have helped you? Um, I think definitely what would have helped me would um, having a solid, like, union for pharmacists and, like, pharmacy workers because there isn't really a strong union for that. So that would have been good to have. But also I think... um, like there being more laws around sort of sole business owners and things like that. Like she got away, she gets away with a lot of stuff and a lot of illegal stuff. And because she's a sole business owner, I think she's sort of like no one's overlooking her. And I think if there was a HR or if there was someone else to regulate sort of small businesses and stuff like that would be a lot better. Um, Yeah. So they think we're just really unfairly treated. Awesome. Jasmine, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Have a good day, guys. You too.
That was Jasmine talking to us about her experience as a casual worker. And that's all we have time for on the show this week. A massive thank you to all of our guests. This episode of Backchat was brought to you by our producers, Eamon Snow, Sana Sheikh, Rebecca Manibog, and Nikki Ilyagoyeva. We've actually got one text we really quickly wanted to read out. It says, Hi guys, I used to own a caravan park near Madura near Mildura. The problem with exploiting workers has been going on for at least 15 years. Thanks for your text, Rob from Surrey Hills. Yikes. Before we go, hey, we're super keen to announce a brand new, exciting summer back chat episode that's going live every Sunday from 10am. It's a one-hour bonanza. We're going to go hard on more news every week. And we're going to catch you at 10am tomorrow. One last song for you. This is a local track from Megafauna called Jacaranda. Hope you have a lovely weekend. Catch you later.